This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم بالشرك الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم فالحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدًا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إذ تبرأ الذين اتبعوا من الذين اتبعوا ورأوا العذاب وتقطعت بهم الأسباب وقال الذين اتبعوا لو أن لنا كرة فنتبرأ منهم كما تبرأوا منا كذلك يريهم الله أعمالهم حسرات عليهم وما هم بخارجين من النار اللهم لا تجعلنا من أصحاب النار أرحم الرحمين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحمل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين يا رب العالمين A lot of times Muslims have conversations about the conflict between Islam and culture So sometimes there are family arguments and you know somebody saying well we want to follow Islam and you are following and my parents are following culture or my uncles are following the culture and it makes it seem like that our religion is at war with culture and I wanted to dedicate this khutbah to clarifying what Allah Azza has to say about our religion and culture the first thing we should know is that Allah Azza created human beings and he meant them to be different nations he meant us to have different kinds of societies in fact he says he says he made you into different kinds of people and different tribes so you can recognize each other. And ta'arafu is not just about recognizing, 
the Arabic word ta'arafu includes the word urf in it, which is social norms. In other words, you're gonna go to China and learn some things about how they do things. Then you're gonna go to Indonesia and learn some different things about those people. You're gonna go to India, then you're gonna go to Australia, and you're gonna learn different things about different cultures. In fact, the word for, you know, they translate this ayah, shu'uban wa qaba'ila, they translate it as people or nations and tribes. But the word sha'ab in Arabic, originally, sha'ab was actually a, a sha'af in Jidar. It was a, it's a hole in the wall. You know, when somebody makes a wall and it's got a little bit of a crack or some imperfection, that's actually called a sha'ab. And the reason Allah uses, one of the reasons Allah uses that word for people or, or nations is that no nation is perfect. Some nations have a crack somewhere else and other nations have a crack somewhere else. Just like human beings aren't perfect. Some people are very good at organization but can't speak very well. Some people are really good writers but they're not good at math. Allah made human beings imperfect. He gave us some strengths and He gave all of us some weaknesses. The same thing with cultures. Some, some cultures have a lot of strengths and at the same time they have some weaknesses. And other cultures have a lot of weaknesses and at the same time they have some different strengths. And this is one of the reasons Allah Azza wa Jal made us shu'ub. He made us into different cultures so that we can learn from each other, each other's strengths. So we depend from each other and learn best practices from other cultures. One of the purposes of doing that is to actually recognize that Allah wants us to never assume that we are perfect, that we're better than anybody else. And that's why within the same ayah, Allah Azza wa Jal said, إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ the most noble among you are the ones that have the most taqwa inside. In other words, if you don't understand this ayah, what happens? One culture assumes, one country assumes, one group of people assumes they're number one. They're the best. They're the most dignified. And they look down on other cultures. They look down on them as they are inferior, that they're less. You know, this was the mentality of many people who colonized the world or conquered the world. As they colonized, they said, we are bringing our higher world, you know, our higher lifestyle, our worldview, we are elevating these lowly people. We're making them better, you know. Even the pharaohs, the fara'ina, the Quran talks about Fir'aun a lot. The pharaohs believed that they have the most supreme lifestyle on earth. And when they saw Musa السلام, and Harun السلام's message, the pharaoh said, one of the biggest reasons we should reject him is وَيَذْهَبَ بِطَرِيقَتِكُمُ الْمُثْلَى they will get rid of your perfect lifestyle. The lifestyle that everybody else wants to be like. Everybody else wants to be like you because you're number one. And so everybody should be emulating and following our culture. So some cultures believe that they are superior, you know, for Europeans that colonize so much of the Muslim world and the non-Muslim world. Many of them believe this notion, if you haven't studied it, you should study it. They called it the white man's burden. They're civilized and everybody else is barely human. So they have to go take over so they can bring us up to speed with the rest of you, you know, make us human, make us more human, make us more civilized. They had that mentality among them. But this is not just something that non-Muslims held. This, was, this used to be something of jahiliyyah. So the Qabilat Hudayl believed that they're superior. You know, and then Banu Hashim believed that they're superior. And then when you go to Medina, you know, you go to Medina, Aus believes that they're superior, and Khazraj believes that they're superior. Banu Qurayla believes that they're superior. Everybody thinks they're number one. Everybody thinks they're number one. And they don't recognize the flaws in themselves. So they say, what can we learn from these other people? What, what are they going to teach us? So what cultures do often is they, they create an antagonism towards other cultures. You know, us versus them. And Allah says, actually, I made you diverse as people. I made you diverse 
so you can recognize what is your weakness and how can you go to this other civilization and learn their strengths and bring that back to your society and make them better. And when they come to you, they'll see some of your strengths and they'll take them back to their society, what's called best practices. Learning from each other, that was the point. So that's the first thing I want you to know as a reminder for myself and you that actually Allah creating different kinds of cultures, different kinds of foods, different kinds of clothing, different kinds of languages, you know, different kinds of heritage, different kinds of architecture. All of that was part of Allah's plan. Allah designed this this way. Allah designed humanity this way. This is Allah's making. But on top of all of that, what happens with certain cultures? is that a culture is when most people do things the same way. Most people have the same, you know, like food, for example. Food from one country, if you, if you want to eat biryani, then all biryanis are going to taste the same, with small, small, small variations. If you want to have Afghani food, Afghani food is a certain way of making Afghani food. So food is kind of consistent, right? Because when you belong to one culture, then the clothing and the way you do things in, you know, cooking, and the way you speak, the language is the same. But then some other things also become the same. Some practices inside the family also become the same. Some way we do business is also the same. And sometimes cultures develop unhealthy habits. There are some very good things about culture, but sometimes cultures get unhealthy habits. So for example, the culture I come from in Pakistan, when you tell someone you'll be there at 9 o'clock, it probably means 1 p.m. <laughs> right, so that's part of the culture. So when they say the wedding starts at 8 p.m., everybody basically leaves the home to go to the wedding at 10 p.m. That's what that means, because the concept of punctuality is off. You go to some other cultures, and punctuality is a very big part of the culture. When you say 8, they, that means 8, 801, they say, why are you late? Why are you late? That's, that's some other culture. So what I'm trying to get at is, it doesn't matter if it's a Muslim culture or not, where the majority is Muslim or not, we develop unhealthy habits. Now Allah told us, in the Quran very clearly, it's actually not cultures that are the problem. It's when some practices within a culture, they become un, you know, unfair, unjust. Or some practices inside of a culture become a means by which other people are being oppressed. They create bulm in a society. You know what, when cultures get really bad, you know what happens? It's an old joke, you know, the, the, in many cultures, when, when you go, in some countries you go, and you hand the passport officer, you hand, hand him your passport, and he says, it's a little light. I can't, I can't process, it's okay. It's a little light, I can't process your visa. Or I can't stamp this, because your, your passport is too light. What he means is you gotta put some cash in there, so it's a little heavier, because he expects a bribe. And then you realize that the local language is actually bribery. You don't have to speak the local language as long, as long as you speak bribery. When a police officer pulls you over, and this has actually happened to me in several Muslim countries, they'll see a certain kind of car, they'll pull you over and say, um, what do you have in the trunk? Well, we have food. Because one time we had food for an orphanage. Food for an orphanage. He goes, I'm hungry too. That's literally what he said, I'm hungry too. Assalamu alaikum, I'm hungry too. I was like, wa alaikum salam. You're not getting it. No, but I'm hungry. I have children also. You know, and that's normal for them. It's not out of line, it's normal for them. And that's part of the culture. And people have accepted it. As if, this is just what you gotta do. This is what just, you just gotta do. When I went to business school, one of the craziest things I ever learned in business school in international business is, is major American corporations, when they set up branches in many parts of the world, including the Muslim world, they actually have part of their budget called corruption. That's part of their budget, because they know that culture 
has corruption, you gotta pay some government official off, you gotta pay some people off, you gotta do this, and then, that, then you'll get your way, then you'll get the regulations approved, and they actually have that in their budget. <laughs> because they've accepted, that's just how things work there. These are unhealthy practices inside of a culture. Our deen did not come to get rid of culture. Our deen came to get rid of the impurities from every culture. Everything that is unfair, everything that isn't okay, everything that is unjust, everything that's corrupt should be removed. That's what Allah expects when somebody accepts Islam. He doesn't expect that we should dress all the same. He doesn't expect, you're not more Islamic or less Islamic if you're not wearing a thobe. That's okay. When, when I go to Umrah, I wear shalar because I'm more comfortable in it, that's where I come from. It doesn't make me less Muslim or less Islamic. You're not more Islamic or less Islamic if you don't speak Arabic. Allah raised you to you know, be a Muslim in, in you know, the Uyghur province in China. Or He raised you in America or He raised you in Canada and you speak English. That's, this is the language that Allah taught all languages. He taught all languages. This doesn't make you less Muslim. It doesn't do that. But when you accept, now let's take a step back and understand something about cultures. Culture is when the majority of the people around you are doing something. Right? And like sometimes it can be the, all your family accepts a certain kind of culture. And so there's a pressure on you to do what your family wants you to do. And sometimes what your family wants you to do is against what Allah wants you to do. That happens. Sometimes that happens. And there are extreme cases sometimes. Sometimes Muslim families are earning haram money. That happens. It's a reality. The father decided to get into a haram business. Clearly haram. But he says, you know, you have to get by, you have to survive. What do you want me to do? And then the son or the daughter grows up enough. Now they're adults themselves. And they say, Baba, this is not okay. Baba, I believe this is haram. Look at this ayah. Look at this, this hadith of the Prophet And the father says, you, you're gonna give me a khutbah? You're gonna teach me Islam? This is why I brought you to this country? Who pays your college tuition? Who gave you the car? Who's giving you this house? You should be ashamed of yourself. Islam doesn't teach you respect of your parents? Huh? And so you're gonna get, you, you try to say something right, because you tried to say what you are doing. And then he says, look at your uncle, he did it. Look at your cousin, they're doing it. Everybody, go talk to them, don't talk to me. Because they created a culture, when somebody else does something wrong, it makes it okay for you to do it too. It makes it okay for you to do it too. And there, it's not just about making you know, haram money. Women do this, men do this, young people do this, old people do this. There are, you know, in our deen, for example, there are some things that are halal. There are some things that are, it's not just you take haram and you make it halal. That's what some people do. It's, it's haram to make a money certain way, it's okay. We decided that we made it halal for ourselves. It's okay, we'll just do an extra hajj. That'll make it up. You know, we'll just go to Umrah every year. That'll make it up. You don't decide how that works. You can't keep doing sins and then make up for it with extracurricular activities in Islam. That's not how this deen works. Tawbah is not acceptable. Repentance is not acceptable for people who keep on doing the same things, same sins, over and over again, thinking, oh, I'll just make up for it, it's okay. I'll do it again, it's okay. I'll do it again, it's okay. I'll just give extra sadaqah in Ramadan. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be so religious on the 27th of Ramadan. It'll all clear out. The budget will be balanced of all of my deeds. That's not how this religion works. That's what we tell ourselves. That's a lie we tell ourselves. But let's understand the flip side of it. When something is halal, according to Allah, and then people, because of their culture, they make it haram. 
So in some cultures, for example, until the oldest son gets married, the younger siblings cannot get married. It's haram for them. Allah never made such a rule, but we made this rule. Now we made this rule and the older son says, I don't want to get married. And the younger son says, I'm ready to get married. And I'm on the, I have a job, I'm of the age. I even found a family, they're in agreement, I'd like to get married, and the parents say what? No, 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 what are people gonna say? You can't do that, it's, they say you cannot do that, which let me tell you the religious language word, this is haram for you. According to our culture, this is unacceptable. People are gonna say what, the older brother is hanging out by himself, and the younger brother got married, what was their hurry? We don't wanna hear these words of the people. So we're gonna take the right that you have, that Allah gave you, Allah gave that young man that right, we're going to take that away from you because our culture says it's haram. So who becomes the higher authority? Who's now? For Muslims. These are Muslims. Who's the higher authority? Is it Allah that's the higher authority? Or is the culture now a higher authority? Allah says, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ He says, who dare make something that Allah has made beautiful and halal, who dare make it haram? Who dare prohibit something Allah allowed? Who dare do that? I'll give you extreme cases that I've personally seen that have hurt me, that have personally hurt me. There are, there are women that they get married. And when they get married, they find out that the family they got married into, the husband has got a drinking problem, or he's you know, going around and he's you know, inappropriate, and the, the, the in-laws are insulting this woman. Sometimes there's physical abuse, sometimes there's emotional abuse. She's being humiliated, talked down to. They, you know, they keep telling her, you're worthless. We did you a favor by marrying our son to you. You're, you know, you're garbage, and we can't, you, know, you should be grateful that we even give you a you know, one-day meal to eat or whatever. All these kinds of horrible things. And this woman comes back to her family. She comes to her own mother and says, Mom, I don't think I can stay in this marriage. I'm being humiliated every day. I'm being tortured every day. Sometimes it even gets physical. I can't take it anymore. And you know what the mother says? It's okay, Beta. We went through it too. Go back. What are people going to say if you get divorced? What are people going to say if you don't stay married anymore? You should go back because you're going to humiliate your father. You're going to humiliate your mother. How are your sisters going to get married if you get divorced? So go back and take it. Have sabr. Make dua. Allah will change everything. You know when a woman came to the Prophet ﷺ saying that she's unhappy in her marriage. She came to the Prophet ﷺ. She said, I'm unhappy in my marriage. What did Allah's Messenger say to her? Have sabr? Go back? What are your family going to say? Allah may a right when somebody is being abused or somebody is not getting their rights met, they have the right to at least hakamam min bayni min ahlihi wa hakamam min ahliya. If at the very least, if there is a problem, get the both families involved and have a real open conversation. And hakam means people who make fair decisions. People who make fair decisions. And what does it mean to make a fair decision? What Allah says is fair is fair. What Allah says is unfair is unfair. Your culture is gone. When it comes to fairness and unfairness, your culture cannot decide what is fair and unfair. That comes from Allah. That comes from Allah. So he says, hakam. Hakam actually means someone who makes fair judgments. And you can get someone from her family and someone from your family, do your best to work things out to solve the problem. And if not, Allah does not hold that against someone. Allah does not consider those people, you know, doomed. What are people gonna say about a woman who's divorced? She's like, you know, it's worse than cancer. And what does Allah say about our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He says in Surah Al-Tahreem, He says, أَسَارَبُهُ You know, إِن طَلَّقَ كُنَّا 
if Allah decides for our messenger وسلم, that he should divorce all of his wives. He told the, the mothers of the believers, he said, if, if, if Allah decides that he should just divorce all of you, and Allah will replace them with spouses that are better. And when he says spouses that are better, at the end of that ayah he says, He says previously married women first, then he says previously unmarried women. Allah honored women that were previously married or divorced, or the husband died, and says he would prefer those for his messenger. What does our culture do? What do cultures do with divorced women? They're like black sheep. They're like, oh, don't, don't invite them, they'll bring bad luck to your wedding ceremony. That's what we do in our cultures. So what we've done is Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, He removed oppression from cultures. As a matter of fact, this was, we're not the first people who have this problem. Before us, Allah gave a law and a sharia and a book to the Jews, to the Israelites. And they over time let their culture become more powerful than the book of Allah. They had the book of Allah also. But they let their culture become more powerful than the Book of Allah. And then Allah gave the Qur'an to the Muslims. And we let our culture become a supreme authority even over the Book of Allah. We allowed that to happen. Then we say that the Qur'an is in the highest place. وَكَلِمَةُ الْعُلْيَا We say, when Allah says, فَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنِ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنْصِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ When Qur'an is being recited, listen to it carefully and silence yourself. Be quiet and listen. Is it just about the sounds? Or is that that Allah is speaking, He has the ultimate authority, nobody can raise their voice above, above what Allah says. When Allah expresses His opinion, no other opinion matters. All the other opinions become silent. Because Allah has given His opinion. Well, you have no room to talk. It's not just about being silent when qira'ah is happening. It's actually silence your opinion. Silence your culture. Silence your preferences. Because Allah has spoken. And He says, why should you do that? So you can be shown love and mercy and care from Allah. In other words, if you don't do that, then Allah's love and His care and His mercy will be removed. If you don't do that, it will be removed. And then you're, you and I are the ones to blame. We put the book of Allah second. And then we wonder, why, where did Allah's mercy go? Why we have so many problems in our family? Why do we have so many problems in our countries? Why do we have so many problems in our culture? Well, the answer is clear in the Qur'an. The rahmah, you removed it yourself. Allah says, you want rahmah, here's how you get it. You want Allah's blessings, here's how you get it. And we're the ones who removed it for ourselves, and then we complain, I keep making dua, nothing's happening. You can't keep putting Allah's book number two, and then turn to Allah and say, Ya Allah, make me number one. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. When you violate Allah's law, you can make the most beautiful du'as, they mean nothing. They mean, it's a scary reality. I pray that all of your du'as are accepted, but the reality, we cannot change reality. We cannot change reality. Allah describes, the Messenger describes وسلم, a person who went to Hajj, and he lost all of his savings going to Hajj. He's covered in dirt. You know, Ash'ar. He's covered in dirt, destitute holding on to the wall of the Kaaba, making dua to Allah. And the Messenger adds, وَمَتْعَمُهُ حَرَامُ وَمَلْبَسُهُ حَرَامُ The food he's eating is haram, he earned haram, money and ate that food. The clothes he got are haram, he got it from a haram source. He took somebody's inheritance and took it for himself and bought those clothes. He didn't give his wife her mahar and then use that money to buy himself some clothes. He, he sold something haram and bought himself some clothes. He borrowed money from someone, never paid it back and bought himself some clothes. 
He ate that food, he ate something, it's haram. And then he comes to the Kaaba and he's crying in front of Allah. The Messenger says, How in the world can he be answered? How in the world will, the, will those du'as go anyway? We, every, every one of us, me and you, we want our du'as to be answered. We want our du'as to be answered. But we cannot get those du'as answered if we don't turn to Allah and understand what it means that the Qur'an is in the highest place. That when the Messenger gives a verdict, then that's it. You cannot feel uncomfortable about what the Messenger decided, You know? Allah says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ They have no iman, they have no, these people, they have no faith, he swore by himself, until they make you the, the judge of everything that comes up, in the, every issue that comes up, about right and wrong, about fairness and unfairness, go back to Allah and His Messenger. The Messenger should decide what's fair and unfair. And until, and after you figure out what the Messenger wants, ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ and after he begins, you understand his verdict, then they find no discomfort inside of their chest. They don't feel any tightness because of that verdict, because it goes against them. They don't feel any discomfort. The moment they feel even a little bit of discomfort, Allah swears those people don't have iman. Until this happens. When you send me mutashlima, and they give themselves completely in submission. But let's turn to the other side. Before I conclude this khutbah. The ayah that I shared with you actually is an ayah from Surah Al-Baqarah. And it's the ayah about what happens to people who allowed a culture, meaning other people around them, to be the authority. <coughs> they did, they met the expectations of people, but they didn't meet the expectations of Allah. When they had to make a decision, the only thought in their, their mind was, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? What are my elders going to say? What's my family going to say? What is the community going to say? What are they going to say online about me? What are they going to say? This? Who's the, you know, this opinion, that opinion, that opinion. I need to fit in. I need to keep up. And those people who you followed, whose opinion you cared about, you already know this now. How many people, you know, these examples burn because people put themselves in difficulty. They put themselves in difficulty. They say, we have to get our daughter married. We have to book the biggest hall we can find. Because that other family, remember their hall? How are we going to have nikah in the masjid? Really? Nikah in the masjid? What are we, fuqara? What are we, homeless? We have to get a real hall. But we don't have money, so take a loan, it's okay. It's okay, you can pay off little by little credit card, it's okay, you got you to get credit, you got approved. Go take the loan out, it's no big deal. So now you're starting, and nikah is an act of ibadah. Walima is an act of ibadah. And now you're starting that act of ibadah with a war against Allah and His Messenger وسلم, by taking riba. No big deal, well, it's okay. And then the nikah is happening, and then you say, okay, time to decide the mahar, even though the mahar should be decided way in advance. And you sit down and decide the mahar, and the, the father of the girl says, ah, oh, yeah, it's 100,000. 150. 150. And the guy's like, oh. no, it's okay, you don't have to pay it right away. It's just a number. Really, the mahab, the mahab that makes a marriage valid, it's just a number. The book of Allah, the book of Allah, the law of Allah that validates a nikah, this is just a trivial formality, just numbers, just zeros on a paper. Doesn't matter. You don't have to give it. Just whatever, it's okay. And there are people that are my father's generation. They're my father's generation. And I, I speak to some of their, their wives sometimes and say, so uh, did you ever get your mahar? She goes, we don't talk about that. 
Muslim, Muslim cultures. Muslim cultures. These are people that come to Salah. They pray Jum'ah. And our mothers never got their mother. Our mother. Can you imagine how serious that is? And I say, when I try to ask, this, say, you should be grateful. I work so hard. I do this. I do, wait a second. Wait, hold on a second. When you agree to marry a woman, you agree to the mahab, that means it is, a, it is hanging over your neck. You don't get to complain after that. Because Allah says, وَآتُ النِّسَاءَ نِحْلَةً Give it happily and quickly. Give it happily and quickly. That's Allah's command. That's Allah's command. What have we done in our cultures? We make the things that Allah takes seriously into nothing. And the things that Allah doesn't say, there's nothing, it's, no, it's not a bad thing at all, we make it haram. The opposite. So we, and we do that because of our cultures. Cultures are many, have many beautiful qualities, but when this sickness enters the cultures, then I tell you the scariest conclusion I have reached. Allah, may Allah make my, my position incorrect. I, I, I fear it. You know, for some people back in the day, they didn't worship Allah, they worshiped idols. They didn't worship Allah, they worshipped idols. The idols were the highest authority for them. You know what's scary today? For a lot of people, the highest authority is their culture. It's even higher than Allah. Now who are you actually worshipping? Who do you actually submit yourself to? Because Islam is submission, isn't it? You give yourself up. Doesn't matter who likes it, doesn't like it. We're not afraid of whoever criticizes. When we submit ourselves to Allah, we're not afraid of people's words anymore. Don't be afraid of them, be afraid of me. Don't be scared of them, be scared of me. This is, these are Allah's words. But how much are we scared of people? Not even people, their words. And those people that you're so scared about, they don't care about you. They don't even care about you. If you were in trouble, they wouldn't be there to help you. But if you did something against their expectations, they'd be the first ones to comment about you. And they're more important. And the one who provides you, the one who fills your lungs with air, the one who gives you every, every beat to your heart, the one who lets, lets you inhale and exhale, the one who lets you see, the one who lets you digest your food, and the one who lets you take it out when you go to the bathroom, so you don't die of poison inside your body, that one you deny. And the people who don't care about you, they become the highest authority. So what happens on Judgment Day? The ayah of Baqarah as I conclude, is When the people who used to be followed, the people whose opinion mattered so much to you, when those people are going to say, we have nothing to do with these followers, we don't care about them. Ya Allah, don't judge us because of them, they did their own thing. I got nothing to do with them, I don't know you. I don't know you. And then the followers and the followers are all looking at the punishment together. And all of the connections they used to have, all of the relationships they used to have, are all cut like they mean nothing to each other. These are the people that meant everything, and now they mean nothing. They mean nothing. And the followers say, man, I made so many decisions in my life because I wanted to meet these people's expectations. And now I'm standing and they're saying, I have nothing to do with you. They say, They say, if we only had a second chance, Oh, we would get away from these people the way they're getting away from us now. I would have nothing to do with you. If Allah let me go back on earth, then if somebody even brought up the culture, I would have spit and said, no, these people don't care about me. I only care about Allah and His Messenger. I will not disobey Allah and His Messenger for people, for expectations, for society, for peer pressure. I will not do it. I will not make something haram, halal. And I will not take something halal and make it haram on someone else. I won't do it. This is not my right. This is Allah's. I won't give it to anybody. I don't care who gets upset with me. 
I can't afford Allah being upset. I can afford everybody else being upset. Everybody else can be angry as they want. That's okay. It doesn't matter to me. And Allah says, كَذَلِكَ يُرِهِمُ اللَّهُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ حَسَرَاتٍ عَلَيْهِمْ That's how Allah will show them all of the things that they used to do. Regret on top of regret on top of regret. Oh my God, that decision. Why did I do that? That decision. Why did I do that? This decision. Why did I make that choice? Why did I say this? Why did I do this? Why did I spend this? You know, every single choice will be brought forward. I made this choice because of people. I made this choice because of people. And it's not hasratan alayhim. It's hasaratin alayhim. Jama'a. Regret on top of regret. On top of regret. And they won't be coming out of the fire. The law of Allah. May Allah not make us from those people. The law of Allah is actually a relief. He told the Israelites, Allah gave them the law, His law so He can remove their burdens and He can remove the chains that they were tied up in. The fetters. You know, prisoners used to have collars, metal collars on their necks with chains and they're pulled by them, right? He says culture sometimes when it becomes oppressive is like those collars with chains on you. He says, I gave you my law so I can remove those fetters from you and those burdens from you so you can be free. Allah came to free humanity from oppressive parts of a culture. Allah is not against culture. He's against bulm. He's against injustice. He's against violating His laws. I pray that that has been a clear message to all of you. May Allah allow us to have honest conversations first and foremost with ourselves, deep inside of ourselves, before we talk to anybody else. Sometimes we hear a khutbah and we're like, man, I wish my uncle was here. He really needs to hear this. Uh, before you worry about your uncle, just think, think about yourself. Where can I get a recording of this? I need to send it to some people in my family. We, we always assume we got it good, somebody else got a problem. You know, that's not the approach we should be having towards any message. The first and foremost recipient, even the Messenger of Allah used to say, Sallallahu I'm counseling you and I'm counseling myself to have the consciousness of Allah. So this is about you and me first. A real honest conversation with ourselves first and then with others lovingly. It, with others lovingly. And pray Allah helps us remove the chains and the burdens that we put on ourselves and come into the freedom and the relief that He has given us in His book and the noble legacy of His Messenger. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi ladhi nastafa khususan ala afdalihi mukhatami nabiyin Muhammadin al-Amin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Qala Allahu Azza wa Jal fi kitabihi al-Kareem ba'da anakuda a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ala ali muhammad kama sallayta ala ibrahim wa ala ali ibrahim fi al-alamin innaka hamidun majid اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حبيب مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أفن الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتاب من الفلس <تصفيق>